0: So for those of you that have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts 16. Uh, This actually is a beautiful thing. Uh, We're going to start in in verse 1 of Acts 16. Um, This was our planned teaching text already, and this lends beautifully with what God's doing in our midst this morning. So I'm just going to read Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to talk to the seniors, and then the parents, and then we're going to pray. So Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith And grew in numbers. So, we're gonna use this text and I'm gonna address you guys according to some of the characters here. So, seniors, I'm gonna try to look back and forth. I don't have a crick in my neck, I'm just trying to look at all of them. First of all, y'all, you're loved. Like, you're really, really loved. Um, Not just by parents standing next to you and all of their labor, and we'll get to that in a minute, parents. But you have a church family here, and I speak for the youth leaders and youth workers. We love you guys so much. You're loved and prayed for and cherished. But according to this text, Timothy was a young man who was raised in a house with a mom who was a believer. And it was interesting in the text, it says that the brothers and sisters spoke highly of him. And might I just say that y'all are spoke highly of that the young men and women that you have in front of you are not just standing here because they put their butts in a pew, but they exemplify the way of Jesus. Beyond what we do here on a Sunday morning or even a Sunday evening, these are young men and women who exemplify the gospel wherever they go. And these are people that are spoken highly of. So well done. And then Timothy eventually was chosen by Paul to go. And you guys are all chosen to go in whatever direction that is that God has called each and every one of you to go. But know that like Timothy and like all of us, that as you go and follow in the way of Jesus, that the path ahead might not be easy. Actually guaranteed, if you choose the Jesus way, the path ahead will be hard, but it'll be worth it. You can read the book of First and 2 Timothy and Paul delights in what God did through Timothy and how God is using Timothy But eventually, if you were were to go on and read verses six to 10, Paul and Timothy reach some obstacles and the Holy Spirit prevents some things that they thought they were going to do. And you're heading off to college and you might change your major one or 12 times. I changed mine four times. So if you beat that, that's okay. But as you pursue the will of God and if it seems like there's a closed door, remain faithful, keep going. Because eventually Timothy kept going and there is an open door and God Use Timothy in a beautiful and a powerful way. And so, seniors, congratulations on the work that you have continued to do, and I encourage you to keep going, keep pursuing the way of Jesus, because God has beautiful and good plans, even if it's hard. And so, parents, what's interesting in the text is there is a disciple named Timothy And that Timothy was a son of a believing Jewish woman. It's interesting that Luke here notes the faith of the parents. And we eventually read in 2 Timothy that there is a grandma that was involved who was a God-fearing woman. What a testimony we have here, church family, of families with moms and dads who love Jesus. Jesus that once again exemplify the way of Jesus and have made faith a priority in the home and that these young people in front of you, I only get them maybe two hours a week at most and the hard work of discipling their kids has been on mom and dad and might I just say parents, that I've seen your kids in different contexts and they are some of the best kids that I have ever interacted with. So well done, mom and dad. But also with this morning, and this part's going to possibly be hard, so it's about time. Your kids are at that age, and God has plans for them. And part of those plans is to be set free to do the gospel work that God has called them to. And so today, it is a celebration. It is also a moment where, like Paul's mom, had to eventually let little Timmy go out of the house And so today is the day that we mark that beginning. We celebrate the work that God has done in their lives, but we also look forward to the work that God has called them to. And also church family, we up front here, look out at a church family. And this morning is not just about them, but we are dedicating ourselves. Well, I'm gonna tell you we're dedicating ourselves because that's what good church families do. We are dedicating ourselves to these families. Because the transition they're going to experience is going to be hard. The enemy wants nothing more than to destroy what God is doing here. And we as a church family are called to come around them, to encourage them, to uplift them, to be a listening ear, to be a source of strength to be an encouragement once again. And we have the opportunity, church family, to come alongside some families who are pursuing the way of Jesus and young people who are getting ready to go out into what we call this crazy world to be a light in the darkness. And so what we're gonna do is you guys are gonna get your walking legs on. We are gonna lay some hands on our seniors and the parents and we are gonna pray a prayer of commissioning and blessing over them over the work that God has in advance for these seniors and even for the parents as they continue to parent their their senior kiddo well and launch them out. So now would be a good time for you to get up. Um, if you are close with any particular person, if you're like a family member, come around side your family. If you don't have family, pick somebody that you think really needs prayer because we all do. If you're still sitting and you want to, and you want to extend a hand, you can do that. As I'm not trying to force you guys to get up, but if you want to extend a hand, that'd be great. Uh, let's pray. God, we are so grateful that these families and these seniors have been held in your hand. That you. Have gripped their hearts, that they have chosen faithfulness to you long ago, and that you have been their refuge and strength. And God, that you are writing a beautiful story in these families' lives through the ups, downs, the twists and turns, the unknown, the darkness, the hardship, the hurt, the pain the beauty, all of it. God, you are orchestrating and writing a beautiful story. And God, we pray, commissioning over them that as these families go and are lights in the midst of the darkness, God, that you would strengthen them, that you would keep them and bless them, bless the work of their hands, bless the words that come out of their mouth. And God, whatever you have in store, even if there are closed doors ahead, even if there are moments where it feels discouraging or it feels hard, God, I pray that through your spirit that you would whisper a tender and a beautiful word to them. Remind them of who they are in you, that those things can never be taken away. God, I pray that wherever their feet touch, that it would be a blessing to you and that there would be names written in the Lamb's book of life because of their faithfulness to the work that you have called them to do. God, we love you. And we're grateful that you are a God who writes beautiful and good stories. And We pray this over our seniors and over our parents. And we pray all these things in your sweet and precious name. Amen. So you guys may be seated. As we get settled in, if you have access to a Bible, once again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 11. Acts 16, starting in verse 11. So as I read earlier, uh, just to give some recap of what we've already talked about in Acts 16, Paul is going, eventually he's going to land in Philippi, but as he's going, he calls Timothy And brings him into the fold. And as they go, they experience some what would be called closed doors. They try to go to different towns to share the good news of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit (laughs) prevents them. Words are good. And then eventually Paul receives a vision to go. And so with eagerness, they go. And so we're going to pick up in verse 11. um, But what we're going to do is we're going to look at, this is the beginning of what we call the Philippian church. Paul is in Philippi. Eventually, Paul writes a letter to the Philippians, which is where we get the book of Philippians from. Um, and we're just going to look at a few of what we would see as the founding members of this Philippian church and describe some similarities and differences in how this applies to our lives. So the first person that we're going to come up on is this lady named Lydia. So starting in verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for some Mothres. The next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So one of the things that you're going to notice in common is a very beginning to each encounter has some kind of pursuit of prayer. So these men are setting out for a place to pray, when as they sit down for this prayer, they get interrupted seemingly. But the second point is that they actually have an encounter with somebody where they are able to share the gospel. And then whoever hears has an opportunity to respond. So in all three stories, you're going to see a high emphasis in pursuit of prayer, an encounter with the good news, and then a response. And so with Lydia, She hears this good news. Note that she's already a God-fearing woman, and she's a dealer in purple cloth, which for those of you that are like, oh, well, what's the big deal about purple, like black and white, like mute colors are in now. A dealer of purple back in that day, purple was designed specifically for the upper class or for royalty. So imagine like Louis Vuitton, Versace, all of those like big brands that I can't even afford to touch. But those brands, like she is essentially CEO, operating manager, working in that industry. Which Philippi is already a pretty rich and ritzy area. It's a major port city. And so she's like big, big deal. And so Paul is interacting with some of these women as they were trying to just have a quiet moment to pray. With all the travel I could imagine, they just want to pause and rest, but yet they sense an invitation from the Spirit to interact with these women, have this gospel conversation with them, and then all of a sudden, they have conversation with Lydia, this God-fearing woman. And catch with me again in the middle of verse 14 that the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying, that there's a difference, church family, between hearing the good news and responding. I'd venture that many of us have heard the good news, but how many of us have responded? And we have Cammie as a beautiful example of a girl who heard the good news and she didn't just keep it to a hearing level, she responded in faithfulness, Hence why she was baptized this morning. And so she hears the good news of salvation that was available to her. And she responded. And what's interesting is after she heard, she urged them to come to her house and her and her household were baptized. There's something that you'll notice in the book of Acts and you'll notice in one other story here that there is a hearing of the good news and a responding that immediately turns to baptism. There's not like a 12 week course to like make sure that your doctrine is all in line, which I'm all about doctrine being in line, but if the good news of Jesus has gripped your heart and if you believe that Jesus is the way, is the truth, is the life and he is your source of salvation, then what is preventing you from being baptized? Because you're in front of a bunch of people and you get dunked. The pressure's off of you. You just get put in the dadgum water. And might I just say, in love, church family, if you're struggling to get baptized because it's like a big, scary thing, following Jesus is a big, scary thing. That Jesus, as has been exemplified throughout the book of Acts, Jesus will call us into things that require things of us. And Lydia hears the good news of salvation, meaning probably part of that message was laying down her life for the sake of Jesus's life, and she responds in faithfulness and gets baptized. And what a beautiful story that it's not just Lydia that gets baptized. Her whole household gets baptized. Because as we see in Scripture, the good news of Jesus is so good that you can't keep it to yourself. That if it is that important that you must share it. And Lydia goes home like, "Hey, mom, how was your day? Good. I heard the good news of Jesus," and she begins to explain it. And Paul and Timothy and crew are there to affirm it. And then they get baptized. That when the gospel is shared, there demands a response. So let's look in the next story. Pick up again in verse sixteen. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, once again. Prayer is an essential part of Acts 16. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, "'I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her.'" And it came out right away. When our owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, "'These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice.'" The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, or after they had severely flogged them, excuse me then they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. So the first member of the Philippian church was Lydia, and then now we have this slave girl. This girl who has been possessed or owned by a particular spirit that is not of Jesus, that is able to tell the future. Which once again, just a brief side note, just so you know, 2 Corinthians says that like our battle is not of flesh and blood. That there is a very real enemy and there's a very real enemy evil forces at hand that are seeking to seek to kill and destroy. That though Jesus won the battle on the cross and by defeating the grave, that we still have a very real enemy. And that the spirit had taken over this girl to be able to tell the future. And it's interesting that the spirit was not unaware of the spirit that is within Paul and Timothy because the Spirit's able to say that these men are proclaiming to you a way of salvation and they're servants of the Most High God. And so they have this encounter with this slave girl and she follows them for days. And it's easy for us to just read that in like half of a verse and be like, oh, come on. Just a few days. And then Paul, like middle of verse 18, Paul was greatly annoyed. I love, I love that Scripture is just so open to just show that Paul was annoyed. They could have just like stopped like sanctified that a little bit and been like and paul prayed and fasted for a few days and after receiving a download from the holy spirit He said you must be gone like paul was greatly annoyed Few days this girl through the tormenting of the spirit speaking through her is saying all of these things and paul gets greatly annoyed He turns to her and doesn't address her addresses the spirit within her And says you must leave And what's interesting is she declares in verse 17 that these men are proclaiming a way of salvation. This word salvation in the original Greek literally means deliverance. And isn't it interesting that the Spirit is talking about this deliverance that people will experience with the way of Jesus and that she was gonna experience deliverance? That what the Spirit was saying that these men were proclaiming, this woman actually experienced. She experienced deliverance. She was set free. And like I address the seniors and I address to us church family is that as this story didn't go like, oh, and numbers were added to their, their crew daily and their increase in church attendance and their giving was increased. There's opposition. This girl was set free by the power of God town didn't like it so they start a riot and an uproar and Paul and Silas were severely flogged and thrown in prison that when we begin to act in faithfulness to the gospel that there might be pushback the world might not like that we are ones that are proclaiming that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and that we live a life that demonstrates that but we remain faithful to the call even when it's hard. So they flog him, throw him in prison, and then in verse 25, we get to our third character, who's the jailer. Let's pick up in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were, what were they doing? They're praying. Once again, if, they're, if something happens in Scripture three times, that's like a good Trinitarian number. We should be a church that prays. Let's keep going. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there is such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, "'Don't harm yourselves because we're all still here.'" The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, "'Sirs, what must I do to be saved?' They said, "'Believe in the Lord Jesus "'and you will be saved, you and your household.'" And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds." Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into the house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. What a story. That Paul and Silas, after being severely flogged and in the deepest, darkest part of prison at midnight. Y'all, I want to go to bed at like 9 o'clock especially if I'm like beaten because like that, that seems like a really long day. I just want some sleep. At midnight, they are praying and singing hymns to God because nothing in this world can touch what God has done in you. And when you begin to shift your eyes instead of on your circumstances to what God has done for you and in you, that the natural outpouring will be prayer and praise. Because Paul and Silas had every reason to hang their head, but they also had every reason because of God's faithfulness to praise God even in the midst. And so they're praying and praising, and the prisoners are listening. They don't have anywhere to go. And they're listening, and the power of God falls. There's an earthquake. Their doors are open. They're seemingly set free, and the jailer freaks out. Because if those prisoners had gone out, that would have been his problem. And his life probably would have been taken anyways. So he prepares to do the noble thing, to fall on his sword. But Paul, filled with the spirit of God, instead of instantly seeking an open door to get out, he sees an open door with his jailer, sees an opportunity to share the good news with the very person who imprisoned him that in the kingdom of God we see no enemies except for the enemy, because people are not our enemy. So he sees the jailer, looks him dead in the eye and says, we're all here, we're all accounted for. We haven't gone anywhere. And it's interesting, most likely the jailer was listening too, hearing these hymns and prayers, that they are praying utter dependence upon their God the goodness and faithfulness of their God, even when the circumstances seemed otherwise. That church family, that we, through our faithfulness to God in hardship, that that is a megaphone to a world that is yearning for hope and peace and purpose through grief and pain. That grief and pain is inevitable, but what we have is hope and peace and purpose in the midst of it. And that is what our world is yearning for. That hope and peace is not trying to eliminate other things that we sprint to, but it's choosing the better one. It's choosing Jesus. And even when the jailer seemed to lose all hope and was prepared to fall on a sword, the hope of the gospel Liberated this man who is responsible for imprisoning Paul and Silas. Once again, there's something in scripture about salvation and the power of it. Not just so you can go to a better place when you die, but that it is a liberating thing here on earth and in the next life. That the gospel is not a ticket out of hell, but it is a pathway towards a better life. And that is what Paul and Timothy and Silas were carrying. And so then the jailer invites Paul, Silas, and Timothy back to the home, gives them a meal, takes care of them. They share the gospel. And once again, we see this. They hear the good news of Jesus. And what happens? They get baptized. Outward expression of the inward work that God has done. And Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer are the founding members of the Philippian church. The church is diverse, many different backgrounds. And most likely, they all sat around in a circle during their first church gathering, shared about how the good news of Jesus gripped their heart, and they all had a different experience. But it was the same gospel, the same Jesus that brought them together And even their responses were slightly different, but that doesn't diminish the gospel. And God moved powerfully through his people, through his church. And as I close, I want to leave you with a couple passages from the book of Philippians. So the next time you do your Bible study through the book of Philippians, imagine Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer, because that's who who's Paul's writing to. And I say this with an encouragement to you as well, church family. Philippians 1, verse 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Jesus, that for all of us in this room, whether you have chosen to surrender your life to Jesus or not, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And that ultimate plan is freedom in him and is surrender to him. Because choosing a life of Jesus is a life of purpose and meaning and salvation and freedom. And that the work that God has started in your life, he will carry it on to completion that the work that God's doing in your life is not up to your grit, it is up to his goodness moving through your life. And he is sure of it, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. And then Paul, as he closes his book to Philippians in chapter four, verse one says, so then my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, I imagine as Paul is writing this. He's imagining Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner, stand firm in the Lord. Church family, we have celebrated a lot this morning. From the declaration of new life in Jesus to young ones who are being launched out to go do the gospel work, that the charge that Paul gives in Philippians is the same charge that I give to us. That when opposition comes, stand firm in the Lord. When hardship comes, stand firm in the Lord. When it seems like everything's going your way and you want to think way highly of yourself, stand firm in the Lord. Because his is the foundation that will never be shaken. Your career is not a good foundation. Even the idea of your perfect little family is not a good foundation. But that Christ is the firm foundation. And he will never be shaken. So let me pray for you. And then after we pray, let's continue on with what God has for us. God, we just want to pause. And even as I pray, just to think back to the times that you have been faithful to us. The valleys that you brought us through. The conflicts we might even still be in. The trials, the tribulations the times that your light shone in the midst of the darkness, God, we can't help but be thankful and grateful for who you are because when we are weak, you are strong. When we were helpless, you were our help. When we were lost, you were our light. And when we felt shackled, you were our freedom. God, would you be our source, our hope. May our eyes be fixed on you and you alone. And as we go out into our places of work and play and rest, would you open doors that no man can shut? Would you give us an opportunity to be a light in the darkness around us? That you would give us an opportunity through word and deed to share the good news because how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Thank you, God, for the work that you are doing in our lives. And I just pray and plea that through us that you would move and that the kingdom of God would fall in Danville and in the surrounding areas, that names would be written in the Lamb's book of life, that we would have to keep our tanks so full because so many people are getting baptized that we would have to do crazy and amazing things because of the gospel work that you are doing. God, we are dependent on you, and we pray and believe that the God who moved then can move now. You did it then. Do it again, God. We just pray these things in your name. Amen.
1: Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaking. I never.
2: Service, uh, we've obviously had a lot um, with our youth and celebration of new life of people stepping out into their adult lives. And um, one thing that I always think I want to think of that particular group of 18-year-olds now is when me and Rachel came to connection and got married. We helped do kids' church with them when they were like four and five years old, and. That was the first group of kids we got to know here at Connection, and now they are um, adults, which is crazy. Um, and on, on that note, uh, a final announcement we wanted to make to you guys is about our kids' church. Um, we announced love, we announced a few weeks ago, about a month ago, about Maria stepping down as a children's coordinator and us having a team of people step into that role. Um, So that that team is – I'm going to step back. I feel like we am some feedback. Um, So Johnson Flanagan, maybe Hannah Johnson, uh, Hannah Johnson, (laughs) Randy Rademacher, who I'm not sure is here, and Rachel George. Um, Those four are going to be heading up um, a children's ministry in this next season. And obviously, they are going to need a lot of help. So we need more than just those four. Um, but they are going to be kind of leading the charge. And as we saw with Cami, as we saw with our seniors, like what a beautiful fruit that we can see from children's ministry. What an important part of what we do as a church. Um, what a good reminder of all of us of, of how meaningful it is to serve those kids. I was even thinking about with Philippians how we have even the juxtaposition of Timothy's mom who – Seem to have done a beautiful work with him versus these guys who were essentially abusing the slave girl and not doing a good job, <laughs> um, and we get an opportunity to uh, raise a bunch of Timothys and Timothy, fi- I don't know how to do a female version of Tim Timoth- <laughs> and Tim t- Mo- yeah, Anyways, um, so, uh, so it's just a reminder and a call that you know we need a whole our whole church helping out with that, but we do have. Uh, these four, stepping up in leadership, we're thankful for them. Just so you know, too, and we'll, there'll be more information about this, but Johnson's going to be heading up some of the schedule, scheduling. Um, Handa, Hannah and Randy are going to be heading up some of the um, curriculum and the service for the older kids, like um, elementary-age kids. And then Rachel George is going to be heading up the, like, preschool and nursery um, curriculum and coordination. So, Yeah. And um, that's going to be starting next Sunday as they're taking over. Um, And with that also means that uh, Maria and Brandon are stepping down. So let's just give them a final thank you for the work that they've done this past year. (laughs) Thank you guys for your service. It's uh, been a beautiful um, way that you've served our church, and we're grateful for that. Um, and thank you, new leaders and everyone else, for the work that you do with our kids. It's meaningful. Again, we saw the fruit of that up here today, and it's um, beautiful. So let's keep going. Let's keep this, there's more kids. There's, those five seniors are followed by a bunch of other high schoolers and junior hires and elementary school kids and down, down, down. Um, so it's, uh, it's a marathon. This isn't over. <laughs> there's, there's more to come. There's more to do. And uh, more good to come, and, and God's faithful through it all so let's close in prayer um and also if you don't know too uh this afternoon is a celebration of those graduates here at the church that what's the exact time frame again so one one thirty to four perfect there we go so everyone's welcome to that all right let's close in prayer dear lord we are grateful that for from the beginning of time um You have been pouring into your creation, that you have made us in your image, that you have roles for us, that you have um, a calling on our lives. And for the past 2,000 years, Lord, since you came uh, and lived and died and rose again, you have called the church, um, you've called us as as members of the church, as the body of the church, to make disciples, to um, raise up new followers of Jesus. And that has been going on generation after generation after generation. And um, Lord, we're here because this is, this is our turn. We are, we are the next generation. Um, we get to continue in the line of all those who came before us and all that we have reaped the reward of, of that. So Lord, help us to um, carry that baton well. Help us to continue to um, learn and grow from those uh, above us. But Lord, help us to pour into these, these kids, these youth, um, to pour into this next generation. Um, let us raise up mighty followers of Jesus in them. And, and um, God, we're thankful that we are seeing that happening. We see that happen today in the service. We're so grateful for Cammie, Lord, and, and the, what you've done in her life. Um, God, we're just grateful that you, you never stop working. You never stop um, pouring out your spirit. And um, God, we can trust you with all of these kids, we can trust you with what the future um, of this church and these kids' lives. And God, we're grateful for that, that you have good things in store. In Jesus' name, amen.